we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Up is down. Boys will be girls and girls will be boys. And two plus two equals five. I'm Dr. Marilyn Singleton and welcome to this episode of America Out Loud Talk Radio's The Pulse, heard every weekday at 5 p.m. So it's time to talk. People have been bullied into staying silent about the transgender craze and its underpinnings. The media and the so-called influencers make out like every kid wants to change into the opposite sex. Well, it's not true. There's something more sinister, if you could be more sinister than mutilating little boys and little girls. My heart goes out to these kids. But transgenderism is fake science. The atmosphere of fear that the cancel culture created is keeping people from speaking the truth. So today, I'm truly honored to have a conversation with an expert who has the facts and some strong opinions. Dr. Michelle Critella is past executive director of the American College of Pediatricians. She is consulted often by Breitbart News, One News Now, Relevant Radio, Fox News, and many others on the issue of transgenderism in youth. She's got a list of achievements as long as my arm, and once you hear her, you'll know why. Welcome, Dr. Cretel. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. You know, as an ethical pediatrician and a mother of four, it is no wonder this whole transgender craze has you on fire. I want you to just go for it and tell us just soup to nuts what you have learned and what you've seen about this issue. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you said it yourself. Um, you mentioned the mutilating of children. And the, the truth is we're dealing, we are dealing with transgender belief. And when we are dealing with it in children, it is a cry for help. Now, transgender belief in our culture and in our medical institutions is pure evil. And I mean that literally because we are talking about gaslighting, mutilating, and sterilizing children for a belief that is a cry for help, is a sign of underlying emotional distress and or mental illness. What kind of symptoms do these children present with? What do they come in? What do you hear from the parents? What do you hear from the kids? So oftentimes if you're, if you're dealing with um, very young children, prepubertal children, they may simply be breaking sex stereotypes and they may be confused. You know, we've, we've forgotten that most, although most three-year-olds can correctly identify their bodies as telling them that they're boys or girls, 
it's not until age seven that the majority of your children will understand that sex is permanent, that a boy grows into a man and is always a man, that a girl grows into a woman and is always a woman. So um, a lot of times now, because of our transgender culture and as well as cancel culture, you only get one side, um, any little child who is breaking a sex stereotype or says that they are something, you know, that they're not their true biologic sex, right away, parents are told to socially transition your child, dress them as the opposite sex, give them a new name, and make sure everyone around them treats them that way. This, this is called social affirmation. And surprise, surprise, when that is done, you're reinforcing their false belief. And when they get close, closer to puberty, as their bodies are changing, that will cause them distress because the whole culture, the whole um, the, the family and the social circles have been telling this child, oh yeah, you can, you're, you're, not, you're not who you are. You're, you're the opposite sex. And this is, this is who you really are. So when their bodies are telling them the truth, this natural, healthy pubertal development starts to kick in, they become very distressed. And the pediatric narrative that we are given now is, oh yes, you must arrest that pubertal development, put them on Lupron. And Dr. Marilyn, do you remember but actually in some states, do you know what Lupron has been used for in the penal system and in some states still is? I don't know if you're, if you're aware of this. Well, I don't know. Isn't it used to do the chemical castration of prisoners? Yeah. It, in, in some states, Lupron, the number one puberty blocker in America, is still used to chemically castrate rapists. And, and this is what we are doing to our confused and or emotionally troubled children. We're chemically castrating them as young as age, as young as age eight in some Well, let's yeah. get back to that. I want to go back <laughs> to the children's behavior. In my day, girls who played and wore pants, because mm. in my day, girls still wore cute little dresses. They were called yeah. a tomboy. And that was it. Oh, you're a tomboy. You like to pal around with the boys, but nobody said they weren't a girl. And this whole idea that behavior for who knows how long that a child might have, then suddenly right. you go in and decide it's a medical problem and not just kids are different. All kids yeah. are different. That's the great thing right. about being a kid. I mean, right. what do you do about that? Right. Well, this is why it is so important for physicians and pediatricians to hear conversations like this so that it is common sense, but common sense and true science is being canceled that boys who are, who have more feminine interests uh, are still boys because sex is biological and girls who have more enjoy. They enjoy the rough and tumble play and whatnot. Your typical, yes, as you said, back in the day, tomboy are still girls. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> you know, we, 
uh, you know, it used to be that we simply reassured parents and said, hey, love your son for the son he is, love and affirm your daughter for the girl that she is. And that's the same message we need to give parents today. Um, we have a really weird cultural cult, you know, this, this trans, uh, transgender belief, um, some, some uh, ministers and, and uh, reverends have picked up on this. Reverend N.T. Wright is one of them who has said, you know, all this confusion about gender identity, he says it's really, it, it goes back to Gnostic paganism. It's, it's this belief that, oh, the, the Gnostic is one who, who really knows, you know, the individual knows the truth on the inside. And, and it's, a, it's this false religion or ideology that believes the physical is so uh, profane and, and evil um, and, and that's what we're hearing from, that's what's passing as medicine today. Like um, Dr. Deanna Atkins, for example, is the so-called gender expert, the head of, of Duke University's gender clinic for kids. And she has come out and actually um, said that uh, it's counter to medical science to use chromosomes, hormones, internal reproductive organs, external genitalia or secondary sex characteristics to override gender identity for purposes of classifying someone as male or female. That's, wow. You can't get more anti-science than that. Well, okay, let's hearken back a few years <laughs> when you were in college and people were learning about chromosomes when we went to medical school. How did we used to define sex? Right. So sex has, in all the life sciences, whether you're talking about animals or plants, in all the life sciences, your male is an organism that donates genetic material. And your female is an organism that receives genetic material during the reproductive process. And in human beings, Females, the, the females who receive the genetic information have two X chromosomes and the males who are the ones who donate genetic material during the reproductive acts have an X and a Y. Wow. And of course, the others, I mean, it was that simple. So yes, it's, it's defined. The, sex is actually defined across the plant and animal, all the life sciences as what is that organism's role in reproductive re reproduction? Is its role to donate the genetic material? You know, in the case of animals, of course, are you donating sperm? Then you're the male. Um, are you receiving the sperm and you know conceiving the new offspring and gesting? And say, oh, that makes you female. And those reproduct those complementary reproductive acts are genetically determined. They're determined by sex determining genes on your X and Y chromosomes. And that's well, why males, males have your XY and females have your XX. Well, how, the other side. yeah, go ahead. You know oh, the other no. side well, I want to break in and ask, we know that there are some genetic anomalies that occur 
And so people really do have some problems with this chromosomal makeup. How rare are, are these true genetic problems, not the social problems that we're discussing now? Right. But it's very important. It's very important for, for, the, for everyone in the audience to be clear that there are only two sexes. You can only be male or female. And that is determined by the sex determining genes, genetics. Now, there are genetic abnormalities and they affect 0.02% of the population. So 0.02% of the population may be born with so-called intersex. I mean, I say so-called, but the colloquial term is intersex conditions, not intersex people, but intersex conditions, also known as disorders of sex development. Why, Why do I say that intersex conditions are not an additional sex? because there are no, you only have two reproductive cells. You either have eggs or sperm and you all, you either, and you, there are no new reproductive organs. So if this is not a third or any other number of sexes, but rather think of it as birth defects that may affect the reproductive process or system. Thank you, because I think that's really important for people. Yeah, and, know. and we know, we, we, we also know that it's appropriate to term them disorders of sex development because every single one of these conditions is associated with impaired fertility. Hmm, and isn't that the point of boys right. and girls and, is and, to and create the, boys right. and girls? Yes, yes. The reproductive system requires both a male and a female to be complete, which is to serve the purpose of propagating the species. Okay, if you, if you, you know, they're all about the other side wants to be all scientific, that claims to be all scientific. But the fact of the matter is, the reproductive system takes two carry out its purpose, and it takes two of complementary function to carry out its purpose of reproducing the species. Okay. Yeah. Well, before, before we have to go to a break, I think there's something very important I'd like you to define. What's the difference between transgender and transsexual? Yes. um, Transsexual is falling um, out of, is falling out of usage, but, um, Transsexual used to be the only uh, medical term found in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, uh, and it refers to those who have um, transgender belief and undergo hormonal and or surgical interventions. Um, Transgender is the newer term that everyone is using, and transgender refers to people who have either emotional, well, they have emotional distress and or social impairment because they believe that their gender is different from that of their biological sex. 
And what's interesting is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Fifth Edition <laughs> admits that this may be transient or persistent. And, you know, so again, on the other side, whereas they claim you are born transgender, can't change. And yet right in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, it says these individuals may have this belief transiently or for a sustained period. So you, you can't have, they, they want it both ways. Well, and this whole concept of something being transient is part of childhood. I can't even think back to things that kids wanted to be and don't want to be. And to do something that would permanently change this is, is evil and it is appalling. Well, when we come back after the break, we'll start to break down. How did this narrative change? How did pediatricians who are the people who look out for young children suddenly change their attitude about transgenderism? So we'll talk about that on the other side. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. In today's world, there's no escaping the headlines filled with warnings about emerging viruses and dangerous superbugs. Genesis is the only technology that safely and effectively obliterates harmful pathogens both on the air and on surfaces. Genesis plus HOCL neutralize these threats to your environment in just seconds. Find out more about this amazing technology at genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a 15% discount. With Genesis, you'll be prepared for what's next. Okay, welcome back. Now we get to start off with what happened to, I guess I can call it, the pediatric establishment that changed their minds about what are little boys and what are little girls? Yeah, I mean, it's very sad um, to say, but unfortunately, big pharma and big medicine money has a lot to, uh, to do with it. To, in terms of establishing a sort of a, a top-down dictatorship of 
so-called standards of care. But um, there was a, a pediatric endocrinologist, Dr. Norman Spack, visited the Netherlands in the early 2000s. And, um, and it was there in the Netherlands that um, some sexologists were actually experimenting, experimenting on a limited basis with puberty blockers in uh, pre, uh, like kids ages 12 and up. And uh, Dr. Norman Spack uh, came back to the States and this is an open interview. I, it was in the Boston Globe or around 2007 or so. Just, he said he was just salivating when he saw this as you know, just an amazing opportunity. He had to get started uh, opening his own clinic to do the same thing there in, in Boston with these children. Um, I mean, he literally uses those, those words. Um, and so it started in 2007, but it wasn't until 2013 that the American Psychiatric Association changed its diagnosis category from gender identity disorder to gender dysphoria. It was that change in 2013 um, in which um, the goal was to destigmatize the label, but also to point out that the therapist's primary concern should be the emotional distress and that they should not be judging the, um, the disconnect with reality. In other words, it, if the person, if, if your patient believes they're the opposite sex, but they're happy and doing okay socially, that's not a problem. Uh, it's only a problem if they're unhappy. So if they come in, they say they believe they're the opposite sex. So, so now basically in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, you had a green light to, instead of work with the child and the family in therapy to understand why they believe they are something other than their body. You were now supposed to be helping the child, uh, changing the child's body, <laughs> not, not working with the mind and trying to understand, okay, why does the child believe this fantasy? Why is this child behaving in this fashion? But rather just accept the abnormal as normal and work on conforming the body to that confusion. This, this seems so odd to me because mm -hmm. we know that there's a lot of other body dysmorphic disorders. Correct. People don't want their legs or they wanna be paralyzed or they wanna be deaf or blind. Do doctors go mutilating those people? No. What is it? about right. the whole transgender thing. This is what boggles my mind. Now, mm -hmm. can- We had a tipping point after the, um, so within, so those were the two things that sort of happened behind the scenes in medicine. We had, you had initially, as far as the, the endocrine manipulation on a very small single hospital scale that started at Boston Children's in 2007. Then in 2013, we had this, destigmatization, you know, the, the label change um, that wasn't so concerned about, you know, it, it wasn't 
you could be mentally healthy and in denial of physical reality. So, so that was, those were sort of two foundational blocks. But in 2015, with the Obergefell, um, you know, the, the legalizing same-sex marriage, um, that decision essentially said that your body and sexual complementarity don't matter in marriage. It doesn't matter in marriage or parenting. So politically, philosophically, that was a, a, a huge boon. This is why the trans, those adults with transgender belief could very much latch onto that and just push their own um, civil rights, you know, invented rights agenda following the, um, the gay marriage ruling and and that's what we that's what we saw as a culture and although there was initial pushback on the adults with transgender belief they were very quick to use children many of whom are in fact suffering from underlying psychological illness they were very the adult transgender activists used children to secure their own political gains that's that's just sick now what what people are saying tell me the science on this is i'm trapped in the wrong body that my brain tells me i'm a woman or my brain tells me i'm a man tell me about brains and the genetics behind being even exactly because today that yeah, pediatricians are telling parents, oh, your little boy, little girl says that because their brain's on, on just on a different page from their body. And this is utterly ridiculous. They, they, um, they are referring to a handful of um, brain imaging studies, which uh, do not replicate one another. So they're, they're very poorly done. They seem to identify differences in adults with transgender belief as opposed to uh, adults without transgender belief. And when I, you know, when I'm trying to explain this to um, lay and professional audiences, I said, look, this is politics and I can prove it to you. Um, Have you ever heard of anorexia being described as an obese brain trapped in a skinny body? (laughs) No. So, very few physicians, never mind lay people, but very few physicians are aware of the fact that there are a boatload of brain studies on young women and young boys with um, anorexia nervosa, comparing them to age-matched you know, peers. And there are distinct differences in the brains of those with anorexia not found in those who do not have anorexia. Yet, we are never told, oh, oh my gosh, look, this proves that their brains are different from their bodies. And oh my gosh, we can't do anything about this. Of course not. That would just be, if anyone suggested that, they would be appropriately laughed out of their institution. And um, no, the reason this doesn't happen is because we understand that the brain is like a muscle. The brain changes. From, 
from the day you are born, from the moment, I mean, well, from the day you're conceived and yet you begin to grow. But anyway, from the, at least from the moment you are born, your brain isn't, does not stay static at all. Maternal infant gaze, uh, behavior, relationships we have throughout our lives, meditating, um, physical activity, everything we do has been demonstrated to alter the physical appearance as well as the physiological functioning of the brain. And you know, if, if folks wanted to look up different studies, I mean, you can you can find um, brain studies of musicians, jugglers versus non-jugglers, um, those who meditate versus others who do not meditate. And um, if you take functional MRIs of individuals, as an example, before they learn how to juggle, after they have juggled proficiently for a period of time, and then again, after they've discontinued juggling for a period of time, as an example, you will, you will see a difference in that individual's, in a particular area of that individual's brain before, during, and after. So the brain is like a muscle. This is called neuroplasticity. And changes have been documented based on maternal infant gaze and alone. So thinking, behavior, changes our brain. That is what is reflected in functional MRI brain studies. So if transgender brains appear different, and that's still an if, because the studies that have been done are rather poor quality. But if there are differences, the differences don't prove they were born that way. The differences are most likely the result of having the different thinking and transgender behaviors and or whatever traumas or experiences precipitated the transgender belief in the first place. Well, and I certainly, I've heard about uh, those studies with jugglers and violinists and the parts of the brain that they use over and over light up mm -hmm. and all these sorts of things. So we know that your outside environment can actually affect your internal environment, the brain. Right. Well, but, but from a basic, even from a genetic standpoint, every single nucleated cell of the body has a sex and it's the very same sex you were conceived with. So, so it's, it's literally, it's utterly ridiculous to say that, oh, you have an opposite sex brain from the rest of your body. That, that's utterly ridiculous. It, this is basic genetics. Well, um, it, yeah. oh, gonna, the last oh. thing I was gonna say is that when babies are developing in the womb, at eight weeks, every um, unborn male fetus develops testicles, which start producing testosterone. Female fetuses do not have testicles. So, so from conception, boy brains and, and boy bodies and girl bodies, boy brain and girl brains are genetically different from conception. And at the eight week mark, your little boy fetuses are producing testosterone, which your little girl fetuses are not. So each baby is born with the right brain. <laughs> Well, okay, we've yeah. learned the science from you right now. Tell me how the American Academy of Pediatrics can come up with, I'll call it the new normal of mm. gender treatment. 
what is it? And right. how they come up with this? I mean, listening to one guy from Europe, why would that make them change? And, and you pointed out that there were a lot of social issues that came up and gay yeah. marriage and whatnot. But right. they are people who are taking care of little kids that these social issues should not supersede science. But what are they saying to do, doctor? Right. So well, let's let's back up and explain just a little bit. So from 2000, in 2007, when we had that single gender clinic, I would say, I used to know this dead on, but from 2007 to 2014, because that 2013 mark with the change in um, nomenclature from gender identity disorder, downgrading it to just gender dysphoria. So from 07 to 2014, you probably had um, maybe 25 gender clinics by then. So even, even though it wasn't widespread, this was, um, this experimentation was being promoted by a, sort of this network of activist physicians following and, and the, the social and cultural changes, you know, made it easier for this network to gradually expand. Um, and I, I mean, the public wouldn't know this, but in academics and academic medicine, um, Standards of care are, are typically developed by small groups of self-selected physicians. And particularly where the, um, those standards concern, um, concern uh, illnesses or conditions that intersect with our culture, like LGBT or reproduction, for example, um, you tend to have uh, more left-leaning, uh, more more left-leaning uh, academicians. It, it just that's that's the way it goes, and they they tend to be in positions of authority. That seems to be the, the case time, in a so lot of time, By the time the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with their position statement. Um, so the AAP has uh, subcommittees and their subcommittee to focus on the appropriate treatment, a review, a review of the literature. They, um, it was one author, predominantly one author who wrote their position paper and he was affiliated with Brown University's Pediatric Gender Clinic. Um, and it comes out fully referenced, you know, they had, I think, well over 50 references in their statement. Um, and, and they recommend that every child who fails to identify with their sex should be 100% affirmed in, as the wrong sex. That is what this position statement says. And it claimed all these references supported that position. Um, a psychologist in Toronto, Canada, Dr. James Cantor, found that rather appalling. He happens to be a gender identity expert and had worked with Dr. Zucker in 
uh, Canada's gender identity clinic. Um, so he pulled every single reference of the American Academy of Pediatrics position statement and did his own uh, analysis of it and found that the AAP statement pushing gender, uh, transgender affirmation only uh, directly contradicted every single one of its references because every virtually every single one of his references recommended watchful waiting, you know, and or psychological, usually watchful waiting and psychological evaluation linked together. Um, and he also said what was astounding is that the AAP's position statement leaves left out um, all of the outcome data. In other words, this Dr. Cantor pointed out that um, the vast majority of young children who present with transgender belief outgrow it as long as they're not indoctrinated. They will, the vast majority outgrow it either before or after puberty. Um, and the DSM-5 itself notes that as many as 98% of gender confused boys will outgrow it by young adulthood and as many as 88% of gender confused girls will outgrow it by young adulthood. And, and that was prior, of course, that was prior to all of the transgender indoctrination of our culture. This is, you know, seeing these numbers, seeing these sciences, okay, they're kids, they change their minds. When we come back after the break, I'd like you to tell me what some of the treatments are, what some of the consequences of these treatments are, and do the treatments actually change the psychological uh, problems that the kids have? So we'll discuss that after the break. You've been in that situation. The person next to you is sniffling or worse yet, <coughs> coughing. Flu, cold, and coronaviruses are everywhere. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to reduce these threats with an invisible mask as an additional layer of protection? Sold by hundreds of pharmacists and medical doctors, our American-made povidone iodine antiviral nasal spray, Cofix RX, lasts for hours deactivating viruses and germs while protecting you from airborne pathogens that make us sick. America Out Loud listeners get 20% off. Use Cofix RX while in large groups, while traveling, or for any other type of high-risk situation as an additional layer of protection to help reduce your likelihood of catching a cold, the flu, or SARS-CoV-2 viruses. Right now, America Out Loud listeners get 20% off of all orders. Click our banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Okay, Dr. Catella. Now I'd like you to tell us what is it that these kids are given? What's what sort of the pattern? Are they drugs? Are they surgery? And and what do these things do to the kids? Right. Yeah, this is really important to understand. So um, between the ages of eight and and twelve, uh, these kids will be put on so-called puberty blockers, Lupron being the most common. And um, the other side uh, jumps up and down and says, this is perfectly safe and reversible, which is simply not true. When you use Lupron to treat the disease called precocious puberty, there 
yeah, we, we, you're treating a disease. If a, if a little girl, a little boy are going through puberty at age five, it is perfectly reasonable. I mean, there are still side effects that are discussed, but it's reasonable for a child going through puberty at age five to be put on the puberty blocker to treat the disease. But a child who is coming upon normal age puberty, now you are causing a disease. If you block normal puberty, you're causing a disease. You are putting little girls into a menopause state at like eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12, and you're arresting the sexual development of the boys. This is gonna cause sexual dysfunction by young adulthood. Um, you are preventing the maturation of the ovaries in girls, and you're preventing the maturation of the testicles in boys. And when you combine these puberty blockers with the so-called cross-sex hormones, which would be, in other words, you give the little girl her puberty blocker plus testosterone, you give a little boy the puberty blocker plus estrogen, now you're making them permanently sterile. And this happens in some cases, these gender experts are giving the kids the two drugs at the same time from the beginning, from the get-go. In other cases, they are staggering them. But the bottom line is that combination, the blockers prevent the maturation of healthy ovaries. They prevent the maturation of healthy testicles and you put the cross-sex hormones with it. You're sterilizing children. That's evil. Um, is it reversible? No, <laughs> no, it's not reversible. It is not reversible. If you give that child the blockers followed by the cross-sex hormones, you have blocked the normal, they've never developed a normal ovary or in the case of boys, a normal testicle. So they don't have fully mature uh, eggs or if they're girls or fully mature sperm if they're boys. And you put them on the cross-sex hormones, you can't reverse that. We can't give it back to them. Um, as far as the blockers alone, we know that if you put the kids, the little kids on blockers alone, and they do choose to come off of them later, their bone development is still not normal. So even though you can come off blockers and have your own, um, your pituitary kick back in, you cannot catch up with your bone development. And the result is brittle bones in your 20s. Uh, we also know that Lupron and the, the puberty blockers are disrupting normal brain development in the boys and girls because sex hormones direct the neurological organization of the brain. So if you block the sex hormones, you block normal puberty, you are disrupting normal brain development. There is at least one case report of a boy who lost several IQ points. And we know further, I mean, Lupron has appropriate uses in adult men. In adult men, it's used to treat prostate cancer and causes memory loss. In adult women, it is used to treat endometriosis and causes deficits in, in spatial memory. So what are we doing to these emotionally vulnerable little children who are confused about their bodies? You bring up a point just saying, emotional problems and children that are confused. One of the things I've heard 
is that, well, these kids are suicidal before mm-hmm. they get treated. Has suicide changed? Do more kids commit suicide? Does it really help in that regard? Well, this is, uh, here's what I would, here's the first thing I say that is so-called gender expertise when he pulls the so-called suicide emotional blackmail. Pull up, pull, pull up the, um, the side effects of Lupron, but the, the Lupron inst- package insert. You know what it says there? It, I'll tell you what it says. It says may cause new onset psychiatric disease and worsening of psychiatric disease. It's, it literally lists depression, anxiety, emotional ability, mood changes, nervousness, and agitation. Why are we giving, why are we giving uh, depressed and suicidal children something that is going to make this worse? And um, Dr. Michael Biggs is a soci- sociologist in the UK who has been um, a tremendous, a, a very outspoken critic. He worked at, in the UK, they only have a single gender identity clinic for the entire UK, the Tavistock Clinic. And he, um, March 2nd of 2019, exposed a suppressed report that identified beyond any shadow of a doubt that children who were their, their own gender identity children, just uh, four children placed on puberty blockers had greater episodes of self-harm on the blockers and that the girls exhibited more behavioral and emotional problems and a greater stat- dissatisfaction with their body image while on the blockers. Um, so we are not doing any emotionally troubled children any good by putting them on these blockers. Um, before we get off the, and I don't wanna get off the, I don't wanna leave the topic of suicide. Children with transgender belief do have an increased risk for suicide compared to the general population. But if you compare transgender children's suicide risk with other children who are emotionally troubled, they're in the same ballpark. Example, a child with a diagnosis of anorexia nervosa, their risk of suicide is increased by a factor of 20. A transgender child, a transgender believing child has an increased risk by a factor of 13. Both categories, now we always take suicidal threats seriously. My only point here is that if you have a transgender child, a depressed child, an anorexic child, a child with ADHD, or a child with autism, those five categories, they have the same degree of elevated risk. And we, well, don't treat, we don't treat suicidal threats with puberty blockers and hormones. We treat it with counseling and antidepressants when indicated. Well, that certainly was my question. What happened to counseling? And right. I, I don't know how much counseling are these kids getting before they dive in to really these completely life altering treatments. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's criminal really, because you can, um, you know, at the gender clinics, their party line is, oh yes, we are a multidisciplinary clinic and we do a thorough evaluation. 
But you now when you speak to parents or families who actually go to the clinics, oh no, they'll have you sign the so-called informed consent, which relieves them of any liability. But they'll, they'll prescribe blockers and hormones in the first visit. And don't forget either that many uh, young people can just walk into Planned Parenthood to get these hormones as well. They're not receiving any any counseling whatsoever. But at this point, we are now in a money-making uh, machine. You know, this is big pharma. This is not about, it's not about healing or health. It's about money-making. Um, and what's what's less known and, uh, and less even less discussed than this is that there are many children now coming out who are saying, oh, I'm agender or asexual. I don't want to look like a boy or a girl. And at these same gender clinics and even some Planned Parenthoods, they are playing, literally experimenting with um, the blockers and the cross-sex hormones as far as dosaging uh, to try and help these kids look neuter. Oh, this is, this is, this is purely, this is about money and it's, and, and in the process, we are chemically, chemically, and, and then even physically, because these kids, some of these girls as young as 13 are being given double mastectomies. Some girls as young as 15 are being given hysterectomies. And we, are, we are literally chemically destroying and physically mutilating and sterilizing children. This is, this is criminal. It's, it's, not, it's not about health in, by any stretch of the imagination. Well, what you say, it's not about health in that regard. And in the short time we have left, I'd like you to say the statistics or what you know about increased mortality in people who've gone through this and what are some of the the medical problems that they have, irrespective of the sexual aspect, but just the general overall health. Uh, correct. So when you... Um... You're right. All-cause mortality goes up in, uh, and you, you see that you see that in within a decade or more out from um, use of the cross-sex hormones. So, as far as all-cause mortality, um, that's coming from the best work we have are out of studies from Sweden and the Netherlands, and um, it, it's just. Dramatic. They have uh, compared um, transgender-believing adults who've gone through the hormones and the surgeries, and um, just dramatic drops in survivability when compared with the general population. Um, what is it that they they die of? What? They will typically, yes, because so the estrogen, the estrogen. Uh, in particular, estrogen given to men will increase your risk of cardiovascular disease, stroke, heart attacks. Um, and similarly for women with testosterone, you have the obesity, the liver dysfunction, um, heart risks and stroke, as well as cancer risks as well. Um, so again, in what you will hear from the public press is oh, they are so much happier immediately following their surgeries and initially with the hormones. That seems to be reflective of a short-term honeymoon period, but physiologically, we are just destroying their bodies. 
Um, and even as far as the adults go, even um, in terms of suicide, um, a study out of Sweden followed the adults 30 years out from their transition and 30 years at 30 years out, completed suicides were 19 times greater than the general population. Um, and, and for sure that's related as well, not only to their emotional and underlying psychological turmoil, but the, the chronic diseases that cross-sex hormones precipitate. You know, as I said, everything from heart attacks to strokes, cardiovascular disease, um, insulin resistance, so your, your diabetes goes up. Um, yeah, serious stuff. Wow. You know, we're getting to the point where you have to say, what what is it that's making these kids come out with this stuff? Schools uh, now in some states, the teachers can keep it quiet when the child comes and says, I want to be another sex and not tell the parents. And then they have social media and all this stuff that's influencing them. Let us know before we close out, what can parents, what can everyday people do? You try as a doctor and there's a whole group of ethical pediatricians that do their best, but so much of this starts at home. In a couple minutes, can you tell us what the people can do? Sure. Um, so the, the first thing is, is to understand that um, oftentimes transgender belief can be a cry for help. So keep, um, you know, working within your own family, pay attention to your own, uh, your own marriage. Parents need to work on their own relationship and, and marriage. Um, parent your child in a firm, loving way and keep them away from the internet as long as you possibly can. I mean, this is, there is no question that this is an internet fueled um, phenomenon. And um, the, the, the spikes, the, the spikes uh, increasing in, di in diagnosing um, gender identity disorder um, has shot up with the launch of each social platform. And this has been graphed for the advent of Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, for example. Um, and it has skyrocketed to the, as fast as like increasing by 4,000% in less than 10 years. That is, that is not an organic disease. That is a social contagion. Um, that is an indoctrination. And you're right, it's, the internet is huge. Also keep your children away from drag queen story hours. Please don't think that's something cute that is very damaging and confusing to them. Do not trust uh, your public or private schools. Um, if you have the, the wherewithal to homeschool, I very much encourage that. Otherwise, you need to know what's going on in the classroom. Do not take that for granted. Um, yeah, but that's all we can do. We try to be as proactive as possible. Well, this is fantastic information and excellent advice. Can you give us the website of the American College of Pediatricians? I think that might be a good place for people to stop off and you have links where we can find out more about this. Yes, yes. Um, go ahead to, uh, you can go to bestforchildren.org, bestforchildren.org and go to the search bar and type in gender identity and that will pull up several useful articles for you. So bestforchildren.org, 
Okay, Dr. Cretella, this has been so enlightening, frightening, but enlightening. And we've, we've got to know the truth of what's out there. Thank you for spending your time with me. Thank you so much, Dr. Singleton. It was great to be here. Okay. So thank you listeners for letting us teach you today. And thanks for listening to America Out Loud, The Pulse. There's free apps on Apple, Android, and Alexa, and you can hear us every weekday at five on iHeart Network and many other outlets. So, and remember, all shows go direct to podcast in 24 hours. So make it easy. Bookmark AmericaOutloud.com. Now, whether you agree or have other opinions, please share the show. And until next week, just say it loud. I'm free and I'm proud. Thank you.